Welcome to the Chronic Spoonful Podcast, where we discuss real life with real chronic illness. Each week, we'll cover an aspect of real life spoony living and what that can mean for different chronic illnesses. We hope this will be a place you can go for updated spoony info and where you'll find humor because, you know, we're a little crazy, important information, and community. As a disclaimer, we just want to remind you that, yes, we'll be talking about chronic illness and health information, but we are not your doctor. Everyone's chronic illness is different, and we are absolutely not MDs, so we are not qualified to give you medical advice. We're going to tell you unequivocally to discuss anything we talk about on this podcast with your doctor. All right, everybody. Thanks again for joining us this week. We have a very special guest on the show. Um, Since it's EDS Awareness Month, we decided we were going to devote this episode to talking all about Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome and kind of talking about what EDS is and how it affects us. So we've brought Rachel Kamen on the show to kind of give her story. Rachel has had EDS her entire life, and she has a very special story to share about, you know, how she was diagnosed, how she's lived with EDS. Um, how it's affected her life. And um, she really has, she's been an inspiration to me when I was diagnosed. She really, you know, talking to her, she's been my good friend for a while and um, seeing what she has gone through, talking to her about her diagnosis. She's actually the first person who suggested to me that I possibly had EDS. And I was like, no way, no way. I, there's no way I have it. And sure enough, Yes, I did. She was right. Whatever. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, seeing what she had gone through, talking to her about symptoms and treatments and everything really helped me when I was diagnosed, you know, have the knowledge I needed to not panic and freak out. So I really appreciate Rachel. And um, so I asked her to come on the show to share her story with everybody, because I think she can also be an inspiration to others as she shares what, what she has been through and how she's risen up from everything. So thank you, Rachel, for joining us today. Um, Thanks so much for having me. And <laughs> you're so sweet. <laughs> well, I'd like you to share your story because it's, it's to me a very interesting and inspirational story. So can you tell us a little bit about like when you were diagnosed? Cause this started when you were a baby. Yeah. When I was a baby, my elbows started dislocating. And at the time they thought it was, they call nursemaid's elbow, which apparently doesn't exist anymore, which is if you you were picking the baby up like from their hands or wrists instead of under the arms and and the elbows weren't strong enough. So they dislocate. So at first that's what they thought it was. But they had, you know, I was going to the hospital a lot, going to the doctor a lot. Um, They eventually just taught my parents how to relocate my joints. My mom's a physical therapist, so it was mostly her job. My dad was not into (laughs) reducing dislocations as a Bible teacher. And I think around the time I was two, they did some serial casting of um, casts like on six weeks off to try to get my joints to grow into place. And then through my childhood, I just dislocated and broke bones a lot um, to the point where I got like frequent visitor surveys from the 
ER and they took my parents away at one point in the ER and asked me if I was being abused because I was dislocating and it was abnormal. And I also had bruises that I couldn't explain, which is another symptom of Ehlers-Danlos is really easy bruising. And I didn't appreciate that my parents were not abusing me. So I spent most of elementary school in some sort of sling or cast. And I was reckless and would do silly things. Like I had like aquatic physical therapy and was running on my crutches and fell and broke my arm. So like I wasn't always <laughs> helping matters. <laughs> um, kids. I mean, kids, like, yeah. <laughs> it's just, you know, sometimes you just want to run when you're a kid and you don't want to be on crutches. So that all was going on. And then when I was nine, I stopped, I was having all this trouble with my leg and I kept complaining and everyone was telling me I was fine. It got to the point where my whole right leg was paralyzed and then went to the hospital. Um, They ultimately diagnosed me with Lyme disease at that point. That was actually what I was on the crutches for when I fell and broke my arm. But (laughs) they were treating me with like tons of antibiotics and I wasn't getting better and it was months and all the tests kept coming back negative, but they couldn't figure out what else it would be. So they treated it as Lyme disease and then sent me to an orthopedist. And the orthopedist was the first one who diagnosed me with Ehlers-Danlos. And so I was nine at that point. And at that time, they told my parents that it meant I was going to be really flexible, but that it should never be a real problem in my life. (laughs) Okay. Which (laughs) was not true (laughs) at all. And now in retrospect, it's unclear to me if I ever actually had Lyme disease, because when they've done tests in the future, like there's no evidence of it still, um, where usually there's some leftover something. So I think it was my first really bad mast cell EDS attack and not necessarily Lyme disease, but it's hard to know at this point. So everything kind of continued that way um i had what they thought were like lime relapse after lime relapse for years and years but i was mostly functional i was able to do high school college grad school work full time um i would dislocate here and there and i had a lot more pain and i had a lot less energy than my peers all the time and would get teased that I was like always going to bed and that type of thing. And I was like, yeah, (laughs) sorry, I'm going to bed. You guys have fun. So yeah, it, it was problematic, but it was manageable until my early thirties. And I had gone to get a massage and I bent over and I banged my elbow on the counter and it dislocated my shoulder. And for whatever reason, that time it wasn't staying in where historically I would dislocate things. And once they were back in, they pretty much stayed back in, but this just kept dislocating over and over and over. Um, And then they increased medication to try to help with it. The medication ended up causing multiple, four ulcers and a GI hemorrhage. And then they found incidental finding of large cysts on my ovaries. And so I had to have surgery on both my ovaries in, to avoid losing them. And then I had another 
rupture and um, my shoulders at, kept getting worse and dislocating more and more um, and got to the point where every time I would relax to go to sleep, my shoulders would come out of the sockets and I had to physically strap them to my body if I wanted to sleep without my arms coming off. So we try, we searched for a really long time. Um, my mom finally found a surgery backstepping a tiny bit. While my while this was going on with my shoulders, one of the what they call a comorbidity, but I think is part of Ehlers Danlos, is dysautonomia, where your autonomic nervous system doesn't work properly, meaning you have trouble regulating things like your heart rate, blood pressure, body temperature, digestion, like everything your body's supposed to do automatically, it doesn't quite do correctly, which can be very, very challenging. So I was stand, sitting on a chair and I stood up too quickly and passed out, which is something that happens pretty commonly with POTS. And when I fell, I sprained my ankle and dislocated a couple of bones in my foot. Um, they put me on crutches and the crutches dislocated my ribs, three of my ribs. And after that point, my ribs started dislocating like crazy and they kept like pressing up on my lungs and making it really hard to breathe and bruising my lungs and causing different kinds of problems with my lungs and breathing and the worst pain I experienced in, up till that point. But so the shoulders weren't cooperating, ribs weren't cooperating, um, ended up having back-to-back -back shoulder surgeries where they basically moved the shoulder bone so that there's a block. So if the shoulder tries to dislocate, there's a bone in the way. And this is a procedure that was historically used for rugby players. And we were like begging the surgeon to just try it on me and see if it would work. And had to see like a whole bunch of surgeons who would, be, before we found one that was willing to touch me, let alone try an experimental procedure with no evidence. Um, but that was really successful. So one major thing I would say, if you have a rare condition like EDS is keep researching and keep pushing and if you think you there's something that might help, keep pushing the doctors and come up with the ideas because they're not going to. And you do have to be your own doctor. And I'm sorry, but you have to get your unofficial medical degree and start working on it now. <laughs> so um, true. <laughs> so true. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, and around that time, kind of finished with the shoulders, ribs were still getting worse. And at the beginning of 2019, I had like massive swelling in my neck and like horrible pain. I went to the ER, um, they accused me of drug seeking and sent me home. Also, mm -hmm. if you're new to the chronic, chronic illness universe, that's gonna happen a lot of times. You yeah. may almost die quite a few. So again, persistence is really important. The next day I was directly admitted with necrotic lymph nodes, which meant my body was basically dying from the inside out. And it was a massive emergency. 
-hmm. after that, I started vomiting every day and couldn't keep any food in and was getting horrible rashes all the time and kept trying to tell my doctors that I had mast cell, which is another comorbidity with EDS, which mast cell is a really, really frustrating condition where your body gets a little overexcited and thinks things are allergies that are not. And so you have some things that consistently activate, you know, will bother you. So there's certain foods I know every time I eat them, I'm going to get sick and that's what's going to happen. But the part that is most challenging is your body will also respond to things inconsistently. So some things you'll be fine with one day and the next day you're like having an anaphylactic reaction to the exact same thing. And there's no real way to predict from one day or one moment to the next, what is going to set your body into a complete flare and what's not. Oh yeah. And there, and there, (laughs) and it, yeah. And it throws, it ends up throwing off everything. So like for me, for example, this week, one of the medications that I had been taking for my mast cell, my doctor wanted to discontinue against my opinion. But so we discontinued it. It was an IV medication. They gave it to me in oral form. I had an allergic reaction to the dye that was in the oral form. Then I was covered in full hives, vomiting, and my blood pressure was like 169 over a hundred. And I went into clinic, like I, I, this help, (laughs) this isn't working. I I need you to give me some IV Benadryl. And they're like, oh, you need to talk to your dysautonomia doctor. And I'm like, this isn't a dysautonomia problem. This is a, a mast cell problem. So we went in circles and they're like, well, we have to do something because we can't send you home like this or with your blood pressure like this, we're going to have to treat your blood pressure. And I said, can we just please start by treating the mast cell and then we'll go from there and not talk about hospitals until we've tried everything. And so they gave it to me, the, the Benadryl, the mast cell med. And within 10 minutes, the hive started coming down. My blood pressure was normal and like my nausea settled down. And it's, so again, I know I'm like, keep repeating myself, but you like have to constantly fight for yourself. And they still were like, you need to talk to your dysautonomia doctor. And I was like, again, you didn't treat my blood pressure. This wasn't a dysautonomia issue. This was a mast cell issue. You treated the mast cell and it fixed the blood pressure problem. It's it's also knowing your own body and it's advocating for yourself with your doctors. Yeah. Well, and doctors don't get a lot of training in all these different illnesses. They get, I think it's 12 weeks of resident in residency. They don't know a lot about most of the, yeah, exactly. They're just, they're kind of out there blind a lot of the time. So they don't, they don't know what's going on. That's even scary to, you know, think about that. Yeah. And they don't understand how the different, like if we're assuming these are all different conditions, how they impact each other and how they have overlapping symptoms so, and, you know, and like, they kept asking me, like, how do you know it's, um, it's mast cell and not dysautonomia? And I, 
I, it was, I just was like, I, I don't know how to explain it to you, except that I've lived in this body my whole life. And I know, and that's like, I don't, I don't know what else to tell you, except that that is the case. Um, but yeah, so 2019 was my dysautonomia and my mast cell were both completely out of control, which resulted in 14 hospital admissions, like something, I think like 12 procedures, like just completely outrageous and out of control. So I ended up going home. I was living in California for the last decade and then went home to my family on the East coast to see, to try like another group of specialists. And we were like flying all over the country to see specialists to try to get anything fixed. And and then at that point, because I was vomiting so much, it had, and we had tried some other experimental things that worked a little bit, but not completely with my ribs, but it got to the point where whenever I was vomiting, my ribs were dislocating. When I was sneezing, my ribs were dislocating. Like I couldn't keep them in for anything and was just super sick, but finally found doctors. So now I have this like insane team between like Florida, Ohio, Pennsylvania, California, because it honestly, with these conditions that are pretty rare, it's like impossible to find all your specialists in the same city who actually know everything. And it take, it took at least me years to find specialists who actually understood and could tra- properly treat it so that symptoms could be more manageable. And during that year, also I had surgery on my ribs. Um, what we found was because Ehlers-Danlos is a connective tissue disorder, which I don't know if I even explained, but we can come back okay. to that. We, we, we should probably explain it a little bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think I missed that part. So Ehlers-Danlos syndrome is a connective tissue disorder, which means basically everything in your body, all the proteins that are designed to hold your body together are formed incorrectly. So things like your ligaments that are supposed to hold your joints in place, hyperextend, so your joints dislocate really easily. Your, and the protein that you're talking about is really the collagen. It's collagen. the collagen. Yeah. And you can't um, replace it by taking a collagen pill or anything like that. It doesn't get replaced. Yeah. Like it's not no, possible. because it's in the DNA of the production. Right. So the production is where it's faulty, but it also does impact things like, um, I don't have normal enamel on my teeth. Right. Um, it can impact your blood vessels, making them burst really easily. So like for me, I can't get, they can't get IVs in my arms. Like my blood, blood vessels just collapse or roll or whatever. So I have a central line in my chest for medication and fluids and stuff that's part of my management plan. But so, yeah, so your ribs, your ribs are really held together by collagen. And because my EDS was so bad, the collagen in my rib cage was pretty much destroyed. So the ribs were no longer connected to my rib cage and just basically floating around, stabbing me from the inside. Oh my God. Um, Wow. Yeah. It was really bad and painful and I don't recommend it. Mm -mm. 
And so they were trying to come up with different options and all of these really scary procedures, but ultimately um, had surgery where they basically sewed my rib cage back together and created like a new rib cage. And so far, like it has been really successful. Um, and so the combinations of getting the right doctors, the right medications, the right surgeries, I'm like at the most functional point I've been in at least like the last eight years. It, it, it is possible, even though the conditions are degenerative and all of that, there are treatment options, even though there aren't cures and there are things that you can do to keep yourself in better shape. I recommend Pilates. Because <laughs> 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 the stronger your muscles are, the, yeah. the less pressure it puts on the ligaments and the more it keeps your body in place. And Pilates are often done lying down so it doesn't impact the pot so much. Um, and it's a lot of small movement. So you're much less likely to dislocate while doing it, which is why I recommend Pilates. I <laughs> <laughs> love your Pilates. I do. Know. I, I do um, love my Pilates. And I feel, I do feel like when I'm really good and consistent about doing my like physical therapy and Pilates, that my pain is much better and I dislocate much less frequently. So it's really hard. And it's like a hard pain cycle to break where it's like you're in pain, so you don't want to move, but the less you move, the more pain you're in. But if you're able to slowly break that cycle and get moving, it does really help with the pain. And I didn't believe that for years and years, but it is unfortunately true. And, and yeah, I think that's, that's a hard pain. That's the cycle I'm trying to break right now. So, and, and I know that it's true but it is a hard cycle to break. It's really hard. Yeah. Cause you're like, Oh, but it hurts so much to move. Yeah. Um, you have to start really small. And yeah. And that's the key is like little things every day and you can build up. I mean, that's, you know, no one, I, I used to say no one can run a marathon the first time they start running not that I ever suggest running running is like the worst thing we could do yeah no don't run don't run um not even if someone's chasing you (laughs) (laughs) no definitely not I I will be the first person to die in a zombie (laughs) me too I'll be right there with you (laughs) yeah yeah. I couldn't do any of those physical things it's fine yeah Uh, yeah bye (laughs) but yeah I mean I was like essentially bed bound until my rib surgery in July and started with just short walks in July and have just been trying to keep progressing. And now I'm at, I'm doing between like 30 and 40 minutes of Pilates a day. Oh, wow. That's great. So it's like almost a year, you know, and it can feel like oh my gosh, it's been a year and I'm still only doing like 30 minutes of movement, but yeah, but that's, it, that's, it's like, it is a big deal for, for us. Yes. <laughs> and it's a really big deal for you considering like all the surgeries you've had and all the dislocations you've had. And I was there when you were bed bound and you couldn't do that much. And 
Yeah. It's amazing. That's really amazing. So I think a lot of work. It is a lot of work. I kind of want to take it back though, to like a little bit in the beginning of like how they started identifying your EDS and some of the identifiers that we were talking about and how they said, you know, you'll just be flexible. And that was like what was understood about EDS at the time. It's, so we've come a long still, way. But I think it's still what a lot of doctors think. And I yeah. still think they still just go through the, the testing for it, where they just test to see like, can your thumb touch your arm? You know, how far back can you bend your pinky? Are you know, are you, you know, are, do you have the 10 degree you know, yeah. So what you're talking about like it's that like the 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 test is fine, but there's so many other indicators of of EDS that yeah you need to look so they at. Recently redid the diagnostic criteria, and I the EDS Society would not be pleased with me saying it, but I feel like it needs work. <laughs> no, it still does need work. I, I agree with you, and and they probably wouldn't be pleased with me saying it either. But I mean, it's getting better, but it's yeah, still work. It's so at this point, the diagnostic criteria is pretty much it's what you were refer- referring to as the bite and scale, which bite is looking scale, sorry, at- I couldn't think of it. The- <laughs> no and it's a nine point scale of hypermobility and they check for hypermobility in like your thumb in your fingers and your elbows, being able to touch your hands to the floor. And if you score six out of nine or above with either a family history or a history of dislocations, that's the diagnostic criteria because they haven't isolated the gene responsible for EDS. Um, where, well, they haven't or, isolated the gene for hypermobile. For hypermobile, right? yes. Right. Yeah. There's, they there's have other for, forms for, that they can isolate yeah. the gene for, yeah. So the other part of the diagnosis is ruling out the other types. So they will send you to a geneticist to test for the other types and then rule it out. And that's kind of how you get to it. But to get to the point where you're even at the geneticist or at a doctor who will give you, who will even run through the bite and scale with you, um, on average takes over 10 years from the symptom onset. So I'm wow. considered like very lucky that I was diagnosed. It, I'm one of the only people I've ever met who was diagnosed as a kid. Yeah. Like I, I really know very, very few people who were diagnosed. So I was either lucky or really severe. It depends on who you <laughs> ask. <laughs> there are so many other symptoms like poor balance and coordination and GI upset and symptoms that mimic ADHD where, because it's a lack of attention, but it's because there's discomfort in your body and pain and difficulty keeping up with like physical exercise and easy bruising, like difficult, you know, even things like difficulty regulating temperature, difficulty with standing up quickly. Like there's so many other signs that are almost always overlooked for years and years. And most people, once they're diagnosed, will say, all of these things that were like quirky about my body finally make sense. Yes. And, and, and I said that, and I, I, I am one of those people who finally put all the pieces together that said that. Yeah. yeah. I, it didn't quite work that way for me. Cause <laughs> like, I don't, I don't really have a lot of memory, like pre-diagnosis. Right. 
because I was little, but most people, I feel like that once they finally get diagnosed, it's like a huge relief because it all finally makes sense. But then there's also this disappointment because there's no cure or like simple treatment. And so it's a hard diagnosis. Yeah, there's, there's not a lot of, so it's, it's mostly treating symptoms. It's not, you know, it's treating the symptoms, it's treating the comorbidities. Um, it's not really, there, there's not that much, there's no cure. You're going to live with it. Yeah. That's it. It's period. But I think, yeah. I think in some ways, like when you're diagnosed later and you've lived with all of this and you've lived with the pain, when you get the diagnosis, it's almost a relief that there's finally a name to everything you've been going through. For me, that was really key. Cause it was like all this fatigue and all of this pain and all of the, everything I was going through. And when the rheumatologist finally said, you know, I think you have EDS and really kind of put solidified everything. It just was like, Oh, finally. And because then you can start putting together a treatment plan yeah. and that's when things finally start coming together. You know, you can start going to physical therapy. You can start, you know, seeing the neurologist to deal with some of the pain you can start, you know, going to the cardiologist and like really talking about the dysautonomia, you can start focusing in on everything and you have a real direction to go. So the diagnosis I think was, a, it, it's almost like, yes, it sounds like doom and gloom, but it was almost a positive thing to get it, which sounds terrible. Like, oh yeah, I was just diagnosed with this, like <laughs> incurable disease, incurable. Yeah, right? But it, <laughs> but it was great. Like, I'm so happy. I'm so happy. I have it. Thank you. <laughs> because it takes so long to get there and, and everyone's yeah. like telling you like, Oh, you know, it's no big deal that you walk into walls. <laughs> it's fine. Or <laughs> it's no big deal that like you have these bruises and you have no idea where they came from. Whatever. You're just clumsy. You're yeah. just dramatic. Or it's all in your head and all you know, maybe head. it's your anxiety mm -hmm. or, you know, your teeth are just naturally decalcifying. It's no big deal. And you have like, you see the dentist like every other month because you have to have a root canal. Like if people think it's just weird, but it hasn't, you know, it, they don't connect all the pieces together. No one's connecting the pieces. You're just weird. You're just weird yeah. that all these things happen to you. So yeah, it's, it was, it was kind of a relief in a positive kind of way. I, yeah. Kind of strange, but you know, it, you can live with EDS. You can live with these treatments. You can find a way to live your life. I mean, you know, it's just about figuring out what works for you to maximize the quality of life yeah. for yourself. I it's, you're not going to get rid of it. You're not going to, you're not going to be cured. You're just hopefully going to find the best management tools you can. Agreed. And that takes time. So everybody needs to kind of learn to be patient. Like, yes, you get the diagnosis, you start seeing all these doctors. It does take time to find the right treatments too. Yeah. And there's a lot of trial and error and what works for one person with EDS doesn't work for the next. Right. And so it really can take a long time to find the right combination for you. 
Exactly. And, and not everyone has, you know, the same level of pain. Not everyone has the same level of severity of the disease and not everyone has the same types of comorbidities. Although I think a lot of people have the same comorbidities and, you know, it's important to talk to your doctors about those, the potential for mast cell, you know, activation syndrome, the, the potential for, um, dysautonomia. Um, and there's several types of dysautonomia. It's not just POTS. Yeah. So, and gastroparesis is another common. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's a big one too. Um, so it's really, and fibromyalgic all can also be part of, can, can also be a comorbidity of EDS. It goes along with that too. So it's important to have these conversations with your doctor because all of, all of these can play into one another, but these are really common. So, yeah. yeah. So it's really important to have those and know that, you know, all of these things you, you can, you can live with them, but you've got to give yourself some time and you've got to be patient with yourself, um, with the, with the treatments and you've got to seek out the doctors that are going to help you find those treatments. And I think Rach, you did a really good job of talking about advocating for that. You just uh, have to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I see it in the groups all the time, people getting frustrated because, you know, doctors or nurses, well, there was one where the nurse didn't believe the person had EDS because they'd never heard of it. Well, there's not so surprised. Out, well, there's so many diseases out there that mm-hmm. people hadn't heard of. So I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> there's no way, you know, all the diseases that are out there. Um, yeah. that, that was, that was an extreme one, but like where doctors are just like not listening. Yeah. And, you know, it, then it's time to find a new doctor. It's time, time to find someone who will listen, but that also takes time too. And it takes fighting and it takes fighting your insurance company. And these things are exhausting guys. And we're not saying it like it's the easiest thing in the world. And it's okay to like get really frustrated and take breaks and come back to it and ask for help. We have to remember like we have, we have insurance and those things for a reason, but I'm, I'm going to put this out there. It's not necessarily their job to help us. No, it's their job to save money. So you have to like really put your hard hat on and your, or like your fighting gloves on. And you really have to like take a deep breath before you get on the phone with the insurance companies. Cause it's hard. Yeah. They're going to fight you on things. And um, if you can get somebody else to do it for you, it's even better. <laughs> yes. Agreed. Agreed. Thanks, dad. Yes. <laughs> Have people help you write those appeal letters. And mm-hmm. Well, yes. and that's the thing too, is, is knowing your rights when it comes to your insurance. And I think we're going to do an episode on that mm-hmm. coming up soon, but knowing your rights when it comes to your insurance and what you can and can't fight for like what it says in your insurance is going to be really important because that's going to be important when it comes to treatments, knowing what grants are out there, knowing what programs are out there that you can get in, you know, that you can get into that helps too, because you never know what like clinical trials are happening that you can apply for. 
that might be of help to you. You got to like, it, it really takes research guys and it really takes um, time and sometimes we're exhausted. So yeah, you have to be patient with yourself. Usually we're exhausted <laughs> and usually we're exhausted. So you have to really pace yourself with this stuff. And, and I know like a lot of us are, you know, we're also working. So take your time and stuff guys. It's it, this isn't an easy disease. It's not a simple disease and it's, there's pain, there's exhaustion, there's feeling sick. Um, and it's not always like super obvious, like the, the past couple of days, I've just like, haven't felt right and been laying down. And I couldn't, I, if you asked me to describe what it felt like, I couldn't describe it to you. It was, it was almost nausea, definitely exhaustion, pain, but it was like this weird mix of it all. And I just couldn't move. It comes on in weird ways and everything happened. And so like, I, I felt guilty because I wasn't like doing the stuff I needed to do, but at the same time, I couldn't do the stuff I needed to do. And also you have to remember that capitalism has ruined all of us and we don't always have to be productive. Absolutely. Exactly. That, and that's the problem. We have it in our heads that we have to be productive 24 seven and we just don't. We no, just don't. and we can't. And if yeah. you try to be, you're going to get yourself sicker. Exactly. Exactly. And put, that's the other thing. Like we can't push ourselves. You have to accept when you have you know, EDS or actually any chronic illness, pushing yourself is the worst thing you can do. Yeah. You need to know what your limits are and respect them. Oh yeah. Yeah. And in our society, I mean, people kind of look down on people who rest more. They think you're lazy or, you know, if you take more frequent breaks because it's such a go, 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 go society. And that's, it's not healthy whether you're sick or not. Well, that's true. Like even healthy people need to take more breaks. Yeah. And they've been saying it now for ages. And like, I, I can't count anymore how many more news pieces I hear on sleep and how they're telling people they need to get more sleep because they're not getting it. Mm-hmm. And sleep is not a luxury. It's a necessity. Yes, it is. And for us, it's even more of a necessity. So yeah. So, okay, guys, I think, you know, we've, we've definitely kind of covered a lot of EDS and I love Rachel's story. Rachel, you're just you're such an inspiration to me. And um, I do want to end our episode with saying we are, we've got our 500th download, you guys. This is so exciting. And it's with Rachel's episode. So yay. 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 Awesome. So exciting. So we are going to post in the show notes, our winner of our t-shirt, just first names guys. And we will email our winner to uh, let our winner know that they have won and um, get their size and all of that good stuff. You guys, this is so exciting. It's so exciting. And, um, and as a reminder, we still have the uh, planner available and we've now made it digital. You can now upload it into your favorite note-taking app. Um, it works really well in good notes and notability. So you can keep track of all of your um, medical stuff, your daily life, all of that good stuff in the planner. So check that out. 
And we hope you guys have a good week. Thanks, Rachel, so much for being on the show. Thank you so much, Rachel. It was so nice to meet you. I loved your story. It was very powerful. Yeah, thank thank you. you. Yes, and come on again anytime. Thanks. Thanks. All right. Thanks, everyone. Have a good week, guys. Bye. Bye.